Welcome back to the Thunder Buddies podcast. I am your host, Michael Martin, and I am joined by my Thunder Buddy, normally on Tuesdays and Fridays, but today on a Wednesday. Joe, how are you doing? Doing good, Michael. We are uh, here to to talk about some, uh, I guess, breaking news, but some news we got today uh, on Mark Degnold. So the Thunder agreed to an extension, a contract extension um, with Mark Degnold, uh, signaling their long-term commitment in him, his long-term commitment to be here. And it's something that, uh, you know, we don't always know ins and outs of coaching contracts when exactly they're up, much less how many years there are. Um, so it was unexpected in that sense, but the Thunder uh, sent an email that I, I guess kind of surprised uh, basically everyone because they broke the news themselves that they agreed to this extension. So happy for Mark, good for the Thunder, um, just a, just a win-win situation. Yeah, very happy for Mark. He's a guy who's worked his way up, like you mentioned. Like, didn't he start off as like a team manager with UConn and ended up in Florida as an assistant and then finally with the G League with the Blue and then finally with the Thunder and now he gets an extension. So really cool for him as one of the younger coaches in the league. But I just wanted to ask you about, you know, now they're signing him to this extension. What do you think it says about the Thunder and their faith and confidence in Mark to do this now as the Thunder and their team is sort of like ascending right now? Yeah, I think this is. I think this is obviously uh, a statement in their like commitment to keeping him around for the long term. Like some of the questions we would get a couple of years ago is, you know, is the Thunder going to go out and get a bigger name coach once they get good and once it's time to contend? And I think it became more obvious the last couple of years and just being around Mark covering him seeing how smart he is seeing how he relates to players like no this is a guy who who could coach a contending type team and i don't think they would have to bring anyone else in um but today's announcement is just a reminder of that that he he wasn't just hired uh to get the thunder through this you know three-year rebuilding stretch going from 22 wins to 24 wins and now to a surprise 40 win season he's their guy for the long term and and really he's been their guy for a long time um, Sam Presti met Mark Degnault uh, at the University of Florida when Sam Presti was visiting uh, on a scouting trip, I think, to see Bradley Beal. Um, met this young assistant who didn't have much experience, um, but hired him to coach the Oklahoma City Blue, the G League team, actually a year before Presti even hired Billy Donovan from Florida to coach the Thunder. So, uh, Degnault predated Donovan by one year in Oklahoma City, coached the Blue for five years, was an assistant for one year under Donovan, and now entering his fourth year as coach, and he's really established himself as one of the brightest, you know, up-and-coming coaches in the league. Even if people can't get his name right. Yes, Degnault. The pronunciation, D-A-Y-G-N-A-L-T, is what is in the Thunder's media guide. So I will say Degnault, no matter how many people might say Dagnault. Um, but I guess it's all about le- uh, le- kind of leaning into a uh, Boston accent. Uh, Mark Dagnall doesn't have all that much of an accent, but he's from Leminster, Massachusetts, a lovely little town west of Boston that I have frequented. Um, frequented might imply that I've been there more than once. I I did frequent it once. I went there. I went to Leminster. <laughs> um but yeah, another uh, another Boston area guy, just like Sam Presti and so many in this front office. Yeah, but it's been really cool for Mark because I know a lot of people after 
Billy Donovan and the Thunder parted ways and they hired Mark. The first initial reaction was who? And the second yes. was people thinking this was a cost cutting measurement for the Thunder. And it's just like, if you guys are going to be in a rebuild, throw out a younger coach who you don't have to pay as much. But as time goes on, like you mentioned, I think he was in their longer term plans than any of us expected. Yeah. I mean, so this is his. It's about to be his fourth year mm-hmm. as head coach. He was with the Blue for five years and then an assistant. So he's basically been with the organization for a decade now. Um, so it's different when you're interviewing outside candidates for a head coaching job versus interviewing a guy who's been in your building for several years. And um, the Blue and the Thunder are very close in in what they do. So, um, yeah, it. It was a surprise at the time in the sense that nobody knew his name other than, you know, people around here who were aware of the Thunder assistant coaches. Um, but now in hindsight, it makes a lot of sense. Um, I personally really enjoy covering Mark. Uh, super friendly coach doesn't try to, you know, doesn't uh, always point out if you ask a dumb question, which I do a, a lot of times and he's careful to explain things and you know, it's pretty open, um, especially compared to a lot of other coaches and, and, and personable. And I think that comes through in his ability to build relationships with his players. Um, he, he's really good at those soft people skills, but he's also uh, a brilliant coaching mind and tactician. And um, people marvel at what he does X's nose wise. So not many people can be good at both of those things, kind of the player relationship side and also making sure everyone's in the right place and dialing up the um you know right calls and everything like that i feel like i learn something new about basketball every single time we talk to him whether it's at a practice or before a game just like these very little things it's not just like super obvious stuff but it's just like like the thing that he told us about that he had all the different call signs was like belgrade and things where the guys went out to the free throw line on the other end and it like had it's like an artificial fast break just little things like yeah. that where it's like i've never thought about that and he just says it like it's common knowledge yeah and you know he picked that up uh, i wrote a story about kind of that that set that they do after free throws picked it up from a scout uh longtime scout that mark was basically like hey when you're on the road if you see anything interesting just let me know and you know that's one of a that's like a good definition of a leader is like taking in information from a number of places and then um, using it. So Mark does a really good job at that. Um, he He's built such a stable coaching staff too in Oklahoma City. I mean, all of his main assistants from Dave Bliss to Grant Gibbs to David Akinyoye, Cam Woods, Eric Maynard ha- have been in this organization for a long time. So Mark, I think, has been such a good developmental coach, but at the same time, he's developed as a coach uh, as the roster has developed, and he's kind of grown with them as well. So um, he, it, it seems like it was a great time to to get him in, as you know, before Shea Gilgis Alexander became the SGA we know today, and like as all these guys were developing in their rookie years, and now as they go on to um, maybe become really impact NBA players. Um, he, he's been with them for the long haul. So um, that's kind of what today's news represents, just keeping him around and uh, aligning him on the same timeline, basically, as the, as the team is right now. 
I still remember when he was hired and somebody asked me, you know, what would your expectations be for him? Because it, you know, we could all kind of see the direction the team was taking in terms of like reorganizing themselves. And I said, don't care about wins and losses. I want to see good habits building and player development. And that's what Mark does. We've seen other teams like Houston, uh, like Orlando or whatever. And it's almost like they're playing like 2K where it's like sim to the end and we don't really care what happens along the way. But the Thunder, although didn't have a ton of talent in those first couple of years under Mark, you could see the bones of something kind of building. And now they're doing the exact same things. They just have much more talented players. Yeah, even when they were like totally outmanned from a talent perspective, like the one common trait uh, is that they played hard and that they like were in games they didn't really belong in. And, you know, they they didn't win a ton, obviously. Um, First year, his first year, they went 22 and 50. That was a shortened season, 72 games. Second year, 24 and 58. So a little bit worse winning percentage in that second year. But still, um, I think they overperformed their over-unders in both of those years. And then um, this year, obviously, they, they blew it out of the water winning 40 games. So he is 86 and 150 as a head coach. That is a 36% winning percentage. But Obviously, everyone knows the the job he was faced with, and like he did it brilliantly. Um, and you know that record doesn't reflect that; it just reflects where the team was from a rebuilding standpoint. And um, I was just talking uh, to to John Ham on the Dream Team show, and we we're talking about this. Like, you know, you can't always get a big name to come in and lead a rebuild because some coaches are worried about their win loss record. Like that goes down in history and maybe that's how some people will judge them by, but Mark Degnall, you know, I don't think the other 29 teams in the NBA were, uh, you know, beating down his door of this, you know, coach that a lot of people had never heard of. So, uh, he was willing to take this jump and now it has quite literally paid off. I mean, just think about the recent coaches that have been hired for some of these teams like Houston, Steven Silas, first time head coach, Jamal yeah. Mosley in um, Orlando. Like there's been a lot of these sort of things. Then you've had the retreads of like in Charlotte with Steve Clifford, uh, Detroit with Dwayne Casey. But more times than not, when you get these younger teams like heck, even go back to Scott Brooks, it's usually the um, less than known assistant who's getting his first shot at a head coaching job. Yeah, that's that's almost always what it's like. Um, and that's why Billy Donovan didn't want to stick around in Oklahoma City. Um, I, I think the Thunder is glad it worked out how it did. Um, but yeah, I mean, Billy didn't want to coach a rebuilding team like uh, after, you know, coaching such talented teams. And at the time, Chicago looked like a good move and it's a prestigious or- organization. But uh, right now, I think you'd give about anything to trade places with Mark Dignall. Definitely. And the last thing I'll say on Mark is I just really appreciate going back to like those other coaches with um, Scott Brooks and Billy Donovan, just the willingness to adapt and just try new things from Mark. I don't think he's afraid to try new things and he'll just throw stuff out there. And even if it doesn't work, it's like at least I tried. But congrats to Mark and his family on, on this extension. Hopefully he buys a lot of Bruce Springsteen records with the money. Probably buying a lot of diapers, you know, now with now with two kids. So, um, yeah, it is. It's it's really cool. Um, well earned. Um, and yeah, thirty eight. I think he's the third youngest coach. Only uh, older. I think the second youngest when he was hired. 
maybe maybe he was the youngest, but Joe Mazzula and Will Hardy are both younger than him. Unfortunate, becoming the old man in the game. That's just how it he, works. He's got the uh, sometimes has the demeanor of a man a few years older than his thirty eight. Mark just goes out of his way not to understand that. pop culture things whenever we bring it up to yeah. him. We're like, did you see this meme? He's like, I don't I don't know what word you're saying. What, what does that mean? He's 38 in body and 51 in mind. <laughs> Definitely. Well, um, I wanted to get your opinion on some just chat stuff because it feels like we need to settle at expectations for a lot of people, whether it's on the good end or the bad end. But first, I wanted to get your take just... From talking to people in Vegas, what did you hear around just the conversation about Chet or what did they ask you? Well, of course, it was all positive. I mean, mm-hmm. everyone has different little things to nitpick, but you, you couldn't come away from that and be lower on Chet than you were coming into the event. I, I don't know how that would be possible. For one, he looks completely healthy and says he's completely healthy. And two, um, even if he didn't play well, he had the excuse that, uh, you know, he was knocking some rust off after not playing competitive basketball for a year. So uh, I think people are really enamored with him, especially on the defensive end, more so than the offensive end, just what he's going to do um, from day one as an, an elite rim protector. So expectations are naturally going to be high. They should be high for a number two pick in the draft. However, they shouldn't be so high as to think that he's worth an extra 12 wins or something like I just remember when he got hurt last year uh, last summer what that would do to the Thunder's win total and I I don't know I I mean some people were throwing out crazy numbers like oh they might be 10 wins worse without him it's like they also might be the same without him or even better I don't know some rookies just don't make an impact uh from from day one now Um, that's why I'm saying going into this year, I've not made some prediction or anything. Um, but I, I don't think the Thunder is going to win 50 games, but if you think they're going to win 50 games, that's fine. I just don't think it's solely going to be because of Chet Holmgren. Well, I'm remembering whenever he talked to the New York times about this and he said, I don't have to come in and average 30, 20 and five. I just have to make the team five points better. That's like our average losing margin. So I think that's going to be really interesting. And there just aren't that many guys honestly maybe 15 or so that actually swing double digit win totals you think around that range i'm just thinking We're talking out loud. like players overall right? players Not overall even... that if you like yeah, yeah. say like in jokic if you take him off the team you're gonna have double digit uh win loss just changes yeah. or if you add him and to I, a team and I, I don't that, think that many guys are that impactful yeah we're basically talking wins above replacement here. Mm-hmm. I, I would say that Shay, you can knock off 10 wins from the Thunder probably mm-hmm. um, if if they don't have him. So yeah, you're talking about not only a team's best player, but you know, maybe the, like you said, 10 or 15 best players in basketball. So um, that's doing nothing to minimize the impact Chuck could have. It's just a, it's a unique situation he's coming into. A lot of number two picks come in as the you know hopeful savior uh, on a really bad team Holmgren is now coming in because there's been a year gap where he, like he might be the fourth option offensively maybe third but he's he's playing with a superstar in Shea 
and two of the best young players in the league and Josh Giddy and Jalen Williams. Um, so I think it's a positive. I think it's really good that he doesn't have to like prove himself to anybody necessarily. Like he can sort of kind of fit in as a role player, as a rookie. And hopefully he still has that superstar upside. Heck, maybe four years from now, he's the best player on this team. That's certainly a reasonable outcome. I just want to expect that this season. Yeah, he doesn't have to be the savior. But the nice thing, even on top of not having to be the savior, is those guys that you mentioned all will set him up on a platter for a bunch of dunks and open threes and things. So I think he's in an incredibly nice spot. But according to Vegas, he's currently Chet is the second um, highest uh, favorite to win rookie of the year behind Victor Wembanyama on FanDuel, Bet MGM points, Bet and DraftKings. Um, But feels like a lot of polarizing things out there because I think most people are overwhelmingly confident about Chet and like are on your end where it's like, or what you mentioned, not what you uh, feel, but just about that he could be someone that helps him get a playoff spot or something. And then you have the very pessimistic other end that just thinks that he's just too skinny and he has these injury issues. But I wanted to go back and do some research on some guys. Um, First, uh, guys who have missed their rookie season due to injury. Here are just some recent ones. Michael Porter Jr., Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid. Julius Randle technically played one game in his first season, but he only played 14 minutes before breaking his leg on opening night. Nerlens Noel, Blake Griffin, and Greg Oden. Yeah, some some good examples to look to, especially like the ones that always pop into my mind are Blake Griffin, Joel Embiid. Embiid missed the first two seasons, didn't mm-hmm. he? He did. Um, which is like kind of unthinkable at this like knock on i i don't i'm not superstitious so i don't even want to put this out in the air but like if chet didn't play all of this year that would seem like an eternity oh yeah um but um yeah it's it's good context so so what did you find michael well i wanted to look at all guys who were um top five picks were six nine or above and mostly played the four or the five so no brandon ingram no jason tatum no laurie market and this goes back to 2013 i wanted guys who were either full-time fours full-time fives or could swap between those spots so no three, four guys who play small ball five, because I don't think Chet will ever play the three at any point. So I cut that off as a qualifier. But going back to 2013, the last 10 drafts, there have been 16 players drafted in the top five that meet these requirements. Paolo Bancaro, Jabari Smith, uh, Evan Mobley, James Wiseman, DeAndre Ayton, Marvin Backley, Jaron Jackson Jr., Ben Simmons, Dragon Bender, Carl Anthony Towns, Jaleel Okafor, Aaron Gordon, Cody Zeller, uh, Joel Embiid, and Alex Lynn. Okay. Between these some guys, names, some yeah. names in there. Yeah, up and down, definitely a mixed bag. Between uh, these guys, there are 14 All Star appearances, one first team All NBA appearance, that's Joel Embiid, uh, four second team All NBA appearances, also All Embiid, and then three third team appearances by Jaron Jackson, Carl Anthony Towns, and Ben Simmons, one apiece. Okay. And then as far as Defensive Player of the Year, Jaron Jackson won this season, and um, Joel Embiid won MVP this season. I put them in sort of like tiers of just career and I had all NBA slash. Oh, I had superstars and bead all NBA slash all star. I had Jaron Jackson, Jr. Carl Anthony Towns. And this one you can push back on. I had Ben Simmons only because of he was an all NBA player at one point and an all star. Yeah, um, he two, was he, at one point. Ben Simmons was voted as one of the 15 best players in the NBA. And it wasn't crazy. And it wasn't crazy. No, 
Too early to know, Paolo Bancaro, Jabari Smith Jr., Evan Mobley, high-end starter DeAndre Ayton, Aaron Gordon, low-end starter bench big Cody Zeller and Alex Lynn, and then busts, I have Marvin Bagley, Dragon Bender, Jaleel Okafor, and James Wiseman. But the question yeah. is, how similar are these guys to Chet? Uh, the average height of these guys is 6'11 to 7 foot, Chet is 7 feet. Average wingspan, 7'2 to 7'3, Chet is 7'6, that ties for the largest on the list with Porzingis and DeAndre Ayton. And uh, James Wiseman average weight. This one was the bad one. Average weight of these guys is 235. Chet weighs 195. The next closest guy was Evan Mobley at 215. Didn't they? Um, what was he listed at Summer League? I think he was like 205, maybe. Yeah, he put on like 13 pounds, I think. But I wanted to do um, draft uh, weight just in oh, case. We, yeah. Oh, okay. I, I see what you mean. For the guys who put on, like Embiid put on like 30 pounds of muscle in two years or something like that. So yeah. I have that. And then um, the average age of these guys was drafted at 19. Chet was 20. Not a big difference. And then um, I did some per 36 averages because all these guys didn't play the same amount of minutes. I mean, Alex Lynn, I think, played like nine minutes a game as a rookie which is just crazy if you're a top five pick. But um, so per 36, this isn't going to be perfect. These guys on average average 17.3 points per game. Do you think that's um, too high, too low for Chet? I don't know how many minutes he's probably going to play. I'd say that's a little bit high, though, just given the roster. I think it's too high. Um, I was doing some very makeshift projections. And the number I had for Chet was 14.9 points per game. So that's kind of where, where my head is at. That seems realistic. This one, I think that he'll definitely beat. And that is an average of 1.5 blocks per game per 36 by these guys on average. I think he will be. I think he'll block more than two shots per game. I think that's pretty conservative. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, um, from Nick Crane, friend of the program, Chet could have one of the best rookie shot blocking seasons of the past decade uh, of the past decade. The highest was Walker Kessler with 2.3 per game last year. And it was Evan Mobley at 1.7 was the second most. Oh, no, it was. No, this isn't ranked in order. No, it was Joel Embiid in 16, 17, 2.5. But I think that Chet is going to have a chance to get a lot of blocks this season. Yeah, that's a lot. But like I could see 2.5 happening. I, I mean, based on that historical data that that would be maybe the ceiling but i think it could be in, in the low twos like if i had to predict i'd say something like 2.3 or something mm -hmm. like that 2.3 is right on the head of assists per game average by these guys but it does drop to 1.8 if you take out ben simmons 8.7 assists per game Assist per game, 2.3 is the average. It, um, with Ben Simmons and then drop out his 8.7 per game, then it drops to 1.8 among the other centers. So I think around two is probably safe for Chet. Yeah, two seems, two on the dot seems like a good number in between that 1.8 and 2.3. But yeah, that's not going to be a big part of his game. Uh, maybe ever, but certainly not next year. I don't think it's going to be needed to be. He's just going to need to be a connector offensively, just moving the ball and stuff. I don't think yeah. you're going to have him playing point guard for large major uh, large portions of the game. Rebounding, though, nine rebounds per game on average per 36. I think that's roughly safe. You'd think that he would get more, but just the Thunder have so many big guys who rebound. Like, Giddy's going to get close to double digits. Shea's going to have around six or seven. J-Dub's going to be around that same area, so... I don't think he's going to be a double-digit rebound guy his first year. 
I do not either. I think he's going to be nine point something. So looking last year, uh, Josh Giddy was the team's leading rebounder, 7.9 per game. But then you had three guys after that who all averaged four guys uh, right at five. I mean, Kenrich Williams, 4.9 rebounds per game. Jalen Williams, Jay Will, 4.9. SGA, 4.8. Even going further, Poku, 4.7. So it's been very distributed. Um, now, Chet is going to grab a lot of those easy ones that a natural big would get, but he's also a very good uh, rebounder. I mean, we saw in Summer League the contested rebounds he he gets even when he's being boxed out or kind of jumping with, with two other guys. So um, I think he is going to overtake Josh Giddy as the leading rebounder, but um, I also think they like when Giddy rebounds, kind of like Westbrook, and that you can like start a fast break uh, quicker. Um, but yeah, I'll say he's, he might push 10, but probably nine something. Let's get to shooting percentages per 36. Those guys shot 46.8% from the field. I think that's roughly where Chet will be around, give or take. Do you think that's just overall field goal percentage? I think it's a little low, uh, for overall, I'd go. Hmm. I didn't put, I didn't, I, I didn't try to figure this one out, but. I think he could be right around 50% from the field. This one, I think he'll be better in, uh, than the field, and that's 26.6% from three. If he's not better than that, then I take back that he'll be 50% overall from the field. I think he'll be better. I think a safe number, and this might be low, but I said safe, safe. I think a safe number would be something like 34% from three. I think he will top out as a better three-point shooter than that. Um, but I just kind of want to see it first. But still, if he's that, that's far better than average. I think it's definitely going to take some adjustments for him just being in the NBA game, going up and down like we talked about earlier, where he's in shape but not like basketball shape to shoot a lot of these shots and get his legs underneath him. But I think he'll be fine. Free throw, I think he'll beat this definitely 69.7% from the field. Uh, from the field of those guys. Yeah, what uh, do you know off the top of your head? I'm looking it up, but what he shot at Gonzaga. I can look it up. Oh, no, you're already looking it up. I do it's not gonna know. It's going to be a race. I got it. Um, Chet Holmgren, University of Gonzaga is the wheels spin. Uh, 72%, 71 of 99, not a huge sample. So what did we say the average was? It was, let's see here. Sorry, this is bad. Uh, 69.7. Yeah, he'll be over that. Yeah. And he I was, he was knocking him down at Summer League at like nearly 80%, right? Yeah, Felt I think like he it. could be like 75, 80%. But the question is, how many minutes is he going to play per game? Like I mentioned, some of these guys, it's just very inconsistent. Like um, Alex Lynn played 8.6 minutes per game as a rookie. Cody Zeller, 17.3. Aaron Gordon, 17. And Dragon Bender, 13.3. On average of these guys of the entire group with those guys who played smaller minutes included, it's an average of 25.4 minutes per game played, but the number jumps to 29.3 if you take out those four guys. I think 29.3 is basically what it's going to be. So looking last year, Thunder minutes, Shea was number one, 35 and a half, Giddy 31.1, Dort 30.7, J-Dub 30.3. I think Chet is going to be right around 30 minutes per game. I think 
what's harder to figure out is games played. I think when he plays, he's going to play big minutes. Um, I don't know. Maybe there's going to be no restrictions whatsoever. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if they're managing his minutes as far as, you know, maybe every couple or so back to backs, he sits out one of those, or I, I, I could see them doing that. I think the Spurs are going to do that with Wimbenyama. Uh, but when Chet's out there, I think he's going to play big minutes. I mean, so, he's going to he's going to start and he's going to close, I would assume. From that group of guys who missed their first year, uh, on average in their year that they came back, so I would say second year, but from beat, it was his third. They played an average of 66 to 67 games. If he plays that, he's going to be right in that rookie of the year mix. The least in year two was, uh, or in his first rookie season uh, after those injuries, was 31 by Embiid. And then this one made me laugh out loud when I saw it. 82 gra- uh, games from Blake Griffin coming off an injury where he played 38 minutes a night. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm trying to kill him. I probably shouldn't laugh at that considering the, the injuries he dealt with. But um, yeah, we know... I think NBA teams are a lot smarter now. Obviously, it's much more in vogue to rest guys. So I uh, I feel 100% confident that Chet Holmgren will not play in 82 games. And he definitely won't play 38 minutes a night, I think. that, And he will not play 38 minutes a night. Presty would run out on the floor and stop that from happening. I mean, there's not going to be a guy in the NBA who plays 82 games in 38 minutes a night. No, no. It would have... That would... That's like the Wilt Chamberlain stat where it's like he averaged like 48.5 minutes per game because he played every yeah. single game, every minute, including some overtime games. Yeah. Mikel Bridges played 83 games last year because he was traded and had an extra game in there after moving to the Nets, but uh, he did not play 38 minutes. I can guarantee you that. Mikael Bridges is the one player in the NBA who'd like a prorated contract for how many <laughs> games you play. Yeah. He doesn't need to rest. He's an Iron Man, but Chet, he's a very unique player, as we've talked about a lot. I think the closest comp just physically and role for him is Evan Mobley uh, with yep. the Cavaliers. Per 36 in his rookie year, 16 points per game, 1.8 blocks per game, 2.7 assists, 8.8 rebounds, 51-25-66 shooting in 33.8 minutes played per game. 51-25. So... Chet is going to take a lot more threes than Mobley took, but that's just an example of, um, I know it was a low low usage from three, but still shooting north of 50% overall while being a bad three-point shooter. I Going into this, I thought Mobley was going to be the closest comp. Um, I think that is a, you know, would be a great outcome if if Chet is on the same trajectory right now that Evan Mobley is on. I know there was some disappointment maybe in year two um, for Mobley and certainly got exposed a little in the playoffs, but he is a tremendous player. And I think both of those guys are going to be two of the best bigs in the NBA for a long time. It feels like we just got out of this generation where there were a bunch of point guards. It was like Russell Westbrook, Chris Paul, Steph Curry, Kyle Lowry, John Wall, um Kyrie just like go down the line of all these guys James Harden and it feels like we're now in the league where it's like this next wave of like Chet Jaron Jackson Jr. Victor Wembanyama, Evan Mobley and others who are kind of taking over the league so it'll be interesting to see those guys kind of jockey for position in their careers yeah Mike Paolo is kind of a tweener in that sense like he's like a bigger wing but probably profiles 
he's like more like the Jason Tatum mellow type guy. But yeah, we we are seeing more kind of futuristic bigs, which is what Mobley is and what Wimbanyama and and Chet are more so than Mobley. I think just with their potential creation ability and you know depending on what they shoot from from three uh although i wouldn't rule out mobily being a really good three-point shooter at some point yeah i like chet's mechanics more another guy just the comp is just very easy and people forget about how good he was in those early years in new york and that's Kristaps porzingis yeah that one always seems to rub people the wrong way uh i don't know what it is about that um but yeah, the the early years of Kristaps were incredible. So, I mean, I'm just pulling it up here. Uh, but yeah, rookie year, he played 72 games, 28 minutes per game, 14.3 points, 7.3 rebounds, shy, uh, 40, 42% from the field, which is a little low, 33% from three-point line. But yeah, was an impact defensive player by his third NBA season before he tore his ACL 2.4 blocks per game. So that's an elite number. So yeah, you, you certainly don't want injuries later in your career. I think Porzingis just had a, a strange career arc that the Knicks were a mess. Uh, then he's involved in, in the Dallas trade and then like no one pays attention to him in Washington. And now he's maybe he can have sort of a renaissance in Boston. Yeah, he basically had it in Dallas where Rick Carlisle just hated him and didn't want him to do anything other than stand in the corner. He wasn't a great post-up guy, but the guys who was trying to post up, it didn't really work. So Porzingis is definitely a different career. I would not be very happy with the injury concerns if that's what happened to Chet, but I think that those early years, people forget about it. And I, I see the same like similar attitude and just like aggressiveness that those guys play with and like early Porzingis and Chet now, because people forget with Porzingis that he used to just dunk all over guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and is is even taller than Chad. Yeah. I mean, Porzingis is huge. Uh, career 36% three-point shooter is Porzingis. I think some of the thing, he, he dropped off defensively, and I think that's because of the injury probably limiting his mobility. I mean, he's not a guy that, that can really switch anymore uh, out onto the perimeter. You just want him playing a, a drop defense close to the rim. And we'll see on Chet, but I think ideally he's a guy that that can guard some on the perimeter. Even if he gets beat, he's he can be effective, kind of altering shots from behind. And as he's younger, I mean, you, you would hope that he's a little more mobile. That's that's always the thing with, with the bigs is kind of how their where their mobility is. Um, but I think Chet overall could be a better defender um, than Porzingis because he's one of those guys where sometimes the block numbers are are loud um, but there's not much else to it uh, other than that but they've got the same wingspan and i would argue it's almost better to be chet and be a few inches shorter than to be like porzingis i think that just sets you up for a few more injuries just being that tall it's a it's a long fall (laughs) from up there whenever you're that tall going to the floor and taking so some of those bumps and it's going to be a little bit more damaging but yeah i'm excited for chet the good news is that there aren't really any concerns about his game other than the one concern is injuries, which is not good. That's the bad news. How concerned are you with Chet and his sort of injury history? I'm not concerned at all for this year. I mean, his injury isn't something that you have the risk of like repeating that same injury. Now, 
there could be that risk several years down down the road just with how the the foot uh holds up after the surgery um but i don't i don't think that's an immediate concern whatsoever um i mean i think injuries overall are a concern um not even talking about that same injury just because you talked about it's a long way to fall like he fell down a ton in summer league and as did Wimbenyama. so i'm not like picking on chet here it's just that those tall lanky guys um sometimes just get put in spots where they lose their center of gravity and just hit the deck more often than um smaller guys do so anytime a guy is falling on the ground more like anthony davis is an example you risk you know certain impacts and and maybe being more injury prone so i don't want to project that i have no idea if that's going to end up being the case um but i think it is going to be something where there are going to be scary falls there was a couple in summer league and thunder fans are going to hold their breaths and wait to see how he gets up well i think i talked about this before but i think all these guys are kind of taught to fall like that and that's why you're seeing so many of them going back to like derrick rose and his injuries with his knees a lot of it came from just him landing poorly where he'd have these big dunks where he's up in the air and all this momentum and all this power coming down and he would just land awkwardly and like contort his body. Whereas like Russ on a lot of those dunks, like you remember he would fall down like afterwards and he'd pick himself back up. And mm-hmm. I think with some of these big guys, that's something they're trying to avoid is them not coming down awkwardly on a leg thing because with bigs foot injuries and leg injuries are just kind of the, the killer for them. Yeah. Yeah. So TBD on that, but I I don't think there's other than you always worry about injuries happening to your key guys. Like I I don't think there's an extra sense of worry that needs to be there with with Chet. Circling back to those guys who missed their first year, I put them in categories also as guys just with injury risk. So long term injury concerns. I had Greg Oden and then Ben Simmons, who used to be an Iron Man, but now just like Ben Simmons, we don't need to get into it. He's not a guy you can trust to play many games if any games at all and then you go down to expect a chunk of time to be missed every season Um, i had Embiid, blake griffin and michael porter jr but he played 55 his first year 61 second year nine games two years ago and then back up to 62 last season but just the back stuff scares me um just an average nba health nerland's noel i don't think that he was just in and out of games but he wasn't somebody who was an iron man this one surprised me uh, with the broken leg, Julius Randle, he's only played less than 70 games twice in nine seasons since then. Yeah, and ever since uh, he's been in New York, you're going to play big minutes for uh, Tibbs. So, uh, yeah, Julius Randle has been something of an Iron Man, And, like, Embiid is kind of a cautionary tale, but overall, and he always seems to get some unfortunate injury that's unrelated in the playoffs, but has responded quite well from being out those those two years. So um, also we're, we're in a, maybe this will change a little bit given the award restrictions now playing 65 games, but that's like, that's like a good number these days. Like if he, if he averages 65 games played per season, I, I think you would take that. Wouldn't you? Yeah. I mean, it's availability versus just ability. And there are certain guys like I hear this with Zion all the time. It's like, would you rather have 82 games of, I'm trying to think of a random player, RJ Barrett or 35 games of Zion being incredible. And it's like, well, that's kind of interesting. But with Chet, I think that he's going to have a really big impact 
immediately that might not necessarily translate to just winning in uh, games, but I think especially on the defensive front, just rim protection and some of the pick and roll defense, he's going to be there immediately. And then some of the play finishing. I mean, the Thunder haven't had a guy who could really as a big who could finish a lob since like Jeremy Grant and Nerlens Noel. Yeah, Josh Giddy is going to have to be in the lab practicing lobs because he is not throwing lobs uh, on, on this team. I mean, there's hardly anyone to catch them. Um, yeah, we we haven't seen that in a couple of years, so I'm certainly excited for that. Um, and defensively, I'm I'm just fascinated by how he fits in because I think he's going to be, like I said, an impact defender from day one. But the Thunder, even without any semblance of a traditional rim protector has been way better than expected on defense last year and even the year before that basically a top 10 defense when they're when they're healthy and that's even without a rim protector like Chet so I don't think you can then make the jump that okay now they're going to be like a top five defense or whatever um but I wouldn't be surprised if they're you know back end of the top 10 now that you're adding Chet to this defense you have a point of attack defender like Lou Dort you had Shea who who just like um you know, played the best defense of his career. Um, Giddy, yeah, sure, you're going to have to hide him a, a little bit, and then J-Dub. So they're going to have a stout defense with that starting five. Yeah, some basketball sicko stuff. I'm just excited offensively where there's just five out and we have either Chet or Josh bringing up the ball in a two-man game, and then all out on the perimeter you have Shea waiting for a catch and shoot or to an attack a closeout. J-Dub doing the same thing and Isaiah Joe in the corner. I think that yeah. those units are just going to melt people. I do have one more comp to throw at you just in terms of career arc that I think would be a good case scenario that people might not think about. But if you allow me to land the plane here, I think it'll end up being good. Try to try to land that plane, sir. N- another Oklahoma legend, Blake Griffin, as a comp for Chet, just in terms of ceiling as a player. They're not similar at all, just in terms of style, like just athleticism, power, and things like that. But when you look at Blake, 13 seasons in the NBA, he made six all-star teams, five all-NBA teams. He made uh, two second teams. One of them, he got bumped down to second team only because the two forwards above him were prime Kevin Durant and LeBron James. But he had three uh, third team appearances and came in third in MVP voting in 2014. That was the year that he was knocked down to second team. If you could lock that in again, different players. Mm -hmm. But if I if I told you, Michael, and not knowing how many years he's going to play, but that Chet is going to be a six time all star, a five time all NBA player. Would you take that? In a top three in MVP voting for a year. Yes, I would take that in a heartbeat. And the thing is, like you have the questions about Blake's injuries and especially in the playoffs, but people forget just how high of a level player he was. And if you make two second team all NBAs and um, three third teams, you're a top 10 player at least twice top three with his MVP year. And then three different years are a top 15 player. And I think that every NBA fan base, if you told them, not attaching a name to it, but just the accomplishments, they'd take that immediately. Yeah, I mean, just look at just look at Shea. I mean, I it's so hard to predict, but he still has a long way to go to have those career accolades that even Blake Griffin did. I mean, Shea's been a one-time All-Star, one-time All-NBA, all did finish top five for MVP, but that that is being good for a very long time. And Blake's best years were 
at the beginning of his career. So um, I, I think you would, I think you would have to take that because if you say that Chet is going to be a five-time All NBA guy, knowing what you know about Shea kind of being a perennial, perhaps All NBA type player, and then you still have J Dub ceiling and Josh Giddy ceiling. So if Chet long term is the second best player on this team, like the potential is sky high because that means he's better than Josh Giddy and Jalen Williams, who we already know are very, very good. If he's the third best player, that means he's better than one of those two guys. And there's a chance he's the he's really, really good but not all NBA good and settles in as a fourth best player. I, I, I don't think that's the most likely situation. But like if he's Brooke Lopez. Yeah. It's not a, it's not like a, he would not be a bust by no. any stretch. So I, I think that's interesting. And just like I mentioned earlier with those guys who were in this range, who qualified the 16, the best career is Joel Embiid. After that, it's pretty open. And mm-hmm. Chet, it might be harder for him to make some all NBA teams because we are in this big renaissance. We're not in a situation where it's like DeAndre Jordan uh, was first team all NBA and then didn't make the all star team. I think that we're going to have more bigs fighting for those spots with Embiid, Jokic. Um, Giannis is a big. He's not a center, though, but we're taking away some of the position. So it might be a little bit harder for Chet where he's not just the token. It's like, well, we have Embiid and Jokic first and second team. It's like a. Uh, who wants it between Towns, Gobert, and Bam? Yeah, and that's what it's been like. So I actually, the worry with taking away positions from All-NBA for some is that bigs are going to get counted out. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, bigs are the league's best players right now. I mean, uh, Embiid won the last MVP. Jokic won the two before that. And then you have Giannis. So uh, we're we're not the league just goes through different stages. I mean, we're going to get to a point where it's like, where'd all the bigs go or where, where'd all the guards go? And, and you know, it's just cyclical, but um, we'll certainly have a chance. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's, it's all projection. We've not seen this guy play in an actual NBA game yet. Um, but the potential is, is scary good, especially when you know that he's already around such a, such a talented core. It almost, it, it it would almost if I was a fan, it would make me want to set my sights a little lower on him individually, just because the the core around him is already so good that if he reaches like the potential of a number two pick, then it's like you know house money, yeah, yeah, it's exactly exactly, especially whenever they already hit on J Dub, who looks like he's like it would be a completely different conversation if instead of. J-Dub, they drafted Johnny Davis in that spot, and you have to have Chet work out. But yeah. at this point, you, you're you just betting on both those guys, and it looks pretty good, and Oos doesn't look like a scrub in Summer League either. Yeah, J-Dub, it's a great point. The pick of J-Dub took all the pressure off Chet needing to click because, you know, even if he's a high-impact starter but not an all-NBA guy, like, you maybe already have the second best player on a really good team in J dub long-term. Um, and then, you know, I keep throwing giddy in as well as kind of like the, the forgotten man. That's already really, really good at uh, who's Chet's age, basically. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, there's, 
when you have so much young talent, you kind of take away the pressure of each of them individually having to hit their ceiling. It's going to be fun throughout this exercise. Do you feel uh, better, worse, the same about Chet? Anything? Have I swayed you in any way? I think I feel pretty much the same, but perhaps a little better. Um, I think I felt better just after Summer League, seeing him back out there of like, he's not just an idea. He's like, a, it's like I could materially see the impact that, that he could have. I mean, obviously, it's going to be a matter of staying healthy. But I think I think his floor as an NBA player is relatively high. Definitely. I'll, I'll work on my persuasive argument skills to try to get you into one of these a little bit higher well, up. Well, it, it's good to to go through this historical perspective um, because the, the names we've mentioned, like the Embiid's Blake Griffin, given their injuries early in their careers, I, I think it's valuable to kind of look back at their careers as a whole. And I'm with you. With Blake, it's like people see him on the very end of the bench in Boston and not playing. And it's like, you forget how electric he was, how beyond just the, just the dunks, he was just such a good NBA player, a great NBA player on really, really good Clippers team. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a helpful thing to look back at. Okay. Like, you know, how good was this guy really? And not just like being clouded by your recent memory of like, Oh, he's washed up. He's going to be out of the league, whatever. Definitely. Well, Joe, thanks for coming on with me. Do you have anything to plug before we get out of here? This has been a lot of fun just getting this breakdown, just talking it out. Yeah, I'm going to try to talk to a few of Vasily Micic's teammates um, from Ephes in, in Turkey, where he's been playing the last several years. Just what it's been like uh, kind of playing alongside him. One of the guys I want to reach out to is Tibor Pleiss, who the Thunder... I, I assume they still hold. Do they still hold the rights to him? I don't know. Um, but he was a kind of a mystery man overseas for a long time. But uh, played it, played at Ephesus. A couple other names people might recognize. So I am working on that. Uh, I'm also working on recharging the old batteries uh, because this is kind of a downtime on the calendar. Late July, August, not much happening. In the NBA, we'll get some back-end roster news, stuff like that. But overall, kind of taking a step back a little bit. Definitely. Well, it should be fun. I saw something on Basketball Reference where I was looking at teams, just assets, and there was a team that had uh, the rights to a player and a drafting statue who was like 55 years old now. We need some type of rule where it's like, after 10 years, just give up. <laughs> well, it's like, I think Keith Smith, Keith Smith tweeted this during Summer League that... Um, the Thunder no longer holds the rights to Nick Collison. So if he ends up coming back, he's basically a free agent. So, yeah. I don't want to live in that world. Nick lace him back up. I'm sure Kevin Durant made a call. How <laughs> 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 thin those guys are. But, Joe, we've got a lot to talk about in the next few weeks. We'll be back on Friday. Thanks, everybody, for kind of waiting on us while my internet got fixed. But we'll be back on our same schedule going forward of Tuesdays and Fridays. Make sure to like, subscribe, comment, rate us five stars on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, at ThunderBudPod on Twitter, and we will be back again for more Thunder Talk on Friday.